Blog Talk Radio. and welcome to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Brian Jura, and tonight I'm joined by one of the writers at the site, and that's Matt Netter. Uh, Matt, you've uh, been writing for the, the site for a couple of years ago, but uh, tonight is your Mets 360 podcast debut. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, you know, last, uh, last night or tonight's game was uh, a really uh, a sad state. Uh, they fell behind seven nothing early on and uh, managed to scrape across a run in the ninth inning. Uh, any any takeaways from tonight's game, or is it something that we were better off just uh, turning the page and uh, hoping better days are ahead tomorrow? Well, just before I join you for the call, I just finished writing the uh, gut reaction for the Mets 360 site, and DeGrom just didn't have it tonight. Um, he couldn't locate his fastball. His breaking pitches looked a little soft. He left a couple of fat ones over the plate. He was missing by a lot. I think he wound up walking five or six. It took him 105 pitches to get through four innings. It just clearly wasn't his night. Um, there were a couple of surprising bright spots, though. Josh Edgen pitched three clean scoreless innings in relief. That's a career high for him. Um, Neil Ramirez managed to pitch two scoreless innings despite walking three, but I think that was some luck involved with some good plays in the field. And then uh, Conforto had a nice uh, opposite field double that drove in a run in the ninth. He also made a great catch. And Granderson continues his hot hitting. He was two for three with a walk. He's been hitting, I think, 313 over the last 18 games, something like that. So there's some good signs. It's very nice to see Collins uh, get away from playing matchups and refusing to pitch a reliever more than an inning. You mentioned that tonight Edgen went three and Ramirez went two, so that makes three games in a row that a relief pitcher has pitched at least two innings. So let's hope the new dog or the old dog has learned some new tricks. But anyway, enough about you know, been, uh, to Go ahead. I, I've, been, I've been thinking about that, Brian. Do you think that that was sort of um, – I don't know, a command that came down from the front office for him to start doing that? Um, you know, I always think that uh, it's it, Sandy Alderson should uh, get more credit for overall direction in in the realm of things that we traditionally think of the manager. So, so my answer to that would be yes. I, I do think that that's probably been something that they talked about and uh, came to an understanding on, whether that was Alderson giving a, a direct uh, order or if that was something that just the two of them were talking and saying, hey, you know, it might make sense if we try this, and then they both kind of agreed on it simultaneously. So I could see either of those two things happening, but I would probably credit Alderson. How about you? Yeah, I agree, and I'll, I'll tell you, I'm with you. I really hope that this is a sign of things to come because, you know, it's one thing if Bryce Harper comes to pl- comes to the plate and you want to bring in a lefty. I understand that. But in general, guys like Jerry Blevins and Josh Edgen should not be used as loogies. They should come in, pitch full innings, 
And when necessary, some of these guys can go two innings, even three innings. It's a shame to have to use five guys every game. That's a shame. It's maddening. But anyway, let's, yeah. let's talk about something that we that we know for sure that, that Sandy Alderson did make the decision on. And that's the other day he announced that uh, Robert Gesellman would move to the pen once both uh, Seth Lugo and Steven Matz came back to the team and joined the rotation. Do you think that's the right move? I don't. Um, I was at the game yesterday, and Gesellman looked terrific. And the start before that looked encouraging. But he really looks like whatever was – what the problem was, he's figured it out, and I like him as a starter. I don't see him in the bullpen, whereas Seth Lugo, to me, is more of a swingman. I can see him coming in in extra innings or in a game when uh, the starter doesn't have it and giving you three or four innings, or if we need a spot start and a doubleheader or a last-minute injury or something like that. I don't see Gazelman as a guy who can pivot that easily, but I do think Lugo can do it. And I'd rather, of course, Max goes to the rotation, but I would sooner leave Gazelman in there. Now, all during the offseason, Matt Cerrone over at Mets blog was talking about utilizing Seth Lugo kind of sort of in the way that the, the Indians used Andrew Miller last year, especially down the stretch and in the playoffs. But I think that one of the things that Alderson is worried about is with the elbow problems and the fact that Lugo did not undergo surgery, uh, warming up and uh, maybe or maybe not coming into the game and the uncertainty of the relief role, I think that's the thinking behind putting him into the rotation. Any worries about uh, the bullpen potentially being more damaging for Lugo's health? That's a good point. Um, But I'll tell you, there's only one Andrew Miller. Every team wishes they had him. He's putting up those kinds of ridiculous numbers again this season. He's just unhittable. Um, He's a guy that I would have loved to have traded for when the Yankees had him on the block. I know it took a lot. The Mets could desperately use a player like that, and I hope that come July we could find that guy out there. We do have some extra pieces, but Seth Lugo is not that guy. I do think he could be more like, like a Joe Smith type, or like um, who we used to have a couple of years ago, remember Carlos Torres, who's actually doing fairly well this season. Um, We need that righty in the bullpen. I think our lefties have been pretty good, but the righties, I mean, Salas is really struggling this year. Um, You know, this guy, uh, Ramirez, really doesn't look like he belongs in the majors to me. And even Reed's been struggling. And, of course, Robles is now in Vegas. So they, they really need another right-handed arm in the bullpen. Maybe Gazelman can do it. I don't know. But he's to me, he's a starter. Now, you just ticked off a, a bunch of righty relievers, but I'd like to talk about a guy that you didn't mention, and that's uh, rookie Paul Sewald. And uh, I want to know, do you see him as a valuable bullpen piece moving forward, or do you think he's more of a fungible guy who just picked a fortuitous time to enjoy success like he has since he's been recalled? I'm trying to figure that out myself. Um, I love what I've seen of him over the past two weeks. Um, He throws strikes. He's got a lot of movement on his pitches, even though he doesn't throw that hard. He's got that unorthodox arm angle that gives him a little extra English on the ball. Um, Is it sustainable? I'm not really sure. Maybe, you know, the hitters just don't have the book on him yet. 
Um, but who knows? We thought the same thing about Gazelman and Lugo last year. Maybe he's figured something out, and uh, I'm certainly willing to keep giving him a shot. Um, I think Collins definitely has more faith in him than a few of the other guys right now, and he can go more than one inning. Um, but it remains to be seen. Now, he was a guy who came up through the system but really wasn't heralded much at all. And, of course, when you're in the, the bullpen, it's hard to get as much hype around you as if you're starting and, and going six, seven, eight innings at a crack. So a little bit of that is sure. understandable. But he's a guy who had uh, good success in the upper levels of the minors. He was very good in double-A. Uh, had a little bit of an adjustment to AAA, but in the second half of last year was a, a very successful guy. And and I'm I'm encouraged. I like what I see. He gets the ball, and he, he doesn't screw around. He, he throws right away. He has a, a quick tempo that a lot of the other pitchers don't have. And, and the key to me is he throws strikes. And I think as long as he keeps throwing strikes, he's going to be uh, a valuable part of the bullpen. And, I mean, you can certainly make a case for right now that um, it's Robles and him. I mean, those are the two primary setup guys for uh, Reed at this point. Well, what I, what I like about Seawald is he, he keeps the ball low. And between that and the movement, he gets a lot of ground balls. He really pitches to contact. He's not trying to strike everybody out. I feel like Smoker and Robles, while they both, you know, could throw a marshmallow through a battleship like the old guys used to say, they're trying too hard to strike everybody out, and they end up giving up the long ball too much. You know, you could throw 100 miles an hour, but if you put it right down the middle of the ma- in the major leagues, it's going to go. Now, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, a hitter after we spent some time talking about pitching. And a guy who, who really seems to um, invoke passions on, on both sides is Wilmer Flores. You got uh, some see him as a guy who, who can mash uh, left-handed pitching, and now he's starting to get more consistent bats against righties, and he's hitting them too. And others see him as a defensive liability, a guy you really can't play in the field who just happens to be enjoying a hot streak right now. I think uh, coming into tonight, yeah. his uh, balls on play average in the month of May was 432. And pretty much anybody wow. who uh, puts up one of those marks is uh, bound to have a good month. So where do you yeah. stand on Flores? Well, first, before I get into what kind of player he is, I just have to say the emotional aspect. As a fan, I love the guy. It, I, I think any Met fan would have to say you have to love the guy the tears on the field and just that he came up through the system as a kid. There's just something about, I, I almost want him to be a career Met. He's just that kind of player. He plays with a lot of heart. Um, I love his versatility. I know he's not a great fielder. Um, I certainly prefer him on the right side of the field. In fact, I was just looking up some of his numbers and um, no surprise a huge percentage of his career errors have been on the left side of the field, either at short or third. And he does a decent job at second base and even, even at first. Um, so I'd like to see him use primarily over there. As far as his bat, um, he's certainly done his part against lefties in his career, but this year he's hit righties better. Um, and he's got some pop. I mean, last year he hit 16 homers and only a tickle over 300 at bats. I like having him, you know, I'm not sure if he could ever be a major league starter, but I think he's a valuable player to have in a platoon role or in reserve, and he's a guy I'd like to see stick around for a couple more seasons. 
to me, the, the name that I come back to, and it's not going to make sense right away, is Kevin Mitchell. And when uh, Davey Johnson was managing, he'd always get Kevin Mitchell into the game at shortstop, even though he really couldn't play shortstop. But he got him into the game at shortstop when the Mets had a fly ball pitcher like Sid Fernandez on the mound. And I don't think that That's the right. Mets have anybody who's quite in, in Sid's case as far as a fly ball pitcher. But I think that's the type of approach that you have to use to utilize Flores correctly because you were calling him a, a guy who is not the greatest fielder in the world, and I really think that's underselling him. I think that from a guy at third base, he is the worst third baseman I have ever seen at the major league level. He cannot he make, can't that make that throw. throw. No, he can't. He can't make that throw. And and it's it's just really hard to put him – on the left side of the diamond. And I know he played almost a full season at short a few years back, but I think if we went back and, and looked at the tape that uh, we'd see that Duda saved him a whole ton of errors and that his numbers really should be a lot worse than they are. So, I mean, I, yeah. I can't even consider playing him on the left side of the field on, on anything more than a, a piecemeal once a week type basis. And, you know, I, I think you're right. I think that if, if spotted correctly, he's an asset. And I know that uh, some people who comment over at the site, you know, want to get rid of him as soon as possible. But, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think you give him away. I think if it makes sense to trade him, you trade him. But a guy like that, if you can spot him for 250 or so at bats, he's definitely a plus. Yeah. I, I, I actually, going into the season, if everybody was healthy, I like the idea of a Flores due to platoon at first. It's just, you know, between the injuries, you know, that hasn't happened all that much. But, you know, I want to segue for a second on a different point, if you don't mind. You mentioned Kevin right Mitchell. I, you mentioned Kevin Mitchell, and that's a good point. I thought back on all these types of players the Mets have come up with over the years. You think of Jeff Kent, Greg Jeffries. Uh, Justin Turner was another one. Um, who am I forgetting? There's another guy. But the Mets have a knack for grooming these players who can hit but can't field. I'm sure I'm forgetting a few along the way. It's almost like an American League approach either to um, scouting or to development. I'm not sure which the problem is, but I've seen too many of these types of players come up over the years in the Mets system. What do you think that's about? Well, it, they they acquired Kent in a trade, so I mean I don't think it's fair to to blame it all on scouting, but perhaps some of these guys they gave up on a little too quick, and I know that at, at one point Wally Backman had some of the same concerns that you know they played a guy named um, Brian Giles at second base ahead of him, and they were so yeah. concerned by what by what Backman couldn't do that they lost sight of what he could do. And I think that's why you have to go back to the, the spotting Wilmer approach, you know, look to keep him to about 250 or so plate appearances. I don't think he's a yeah. guy that you throw out there every day because you, you don't want to live with the consequences of him with a glove on his hand every day. You know, it'd be a little easier if he you, was in the American league. But aren't you a little bit concerned? Cause I mean, when, when uh, Omar Minaya used to talk about him, he would rave about his bat like he was the second coming of Miguel Cabrera. Is, is there a part of you that's a little concerned that he's going to be another Daniel Murphy, Justin Turner, that's going to – something's going to click when he goes to another team? 
Well, I think those are, are two different cases. With uh, Murphy, we, we saw the development. I mean, we, we witnessed that. It may not have been uh, in, in an incredibly long period of time, but at mid-August of 2015 and September, Murphy was just as hot as he was in the playoffs. Now, very few people thought that he was going to be able to continue that over a full season, but lo and behold, last year he did. But Justin Turner, nobody, nobody had the slightest inkling that that was going to happen. And I think that there, there are whispers that uh, perhaps it's not talent alone that's allowing uh, Justin Turner to put up some of the offensive numbers that he has. Um, I don't yeah, know if it's true. fair to speculate, uh, speculate about that, but that, that is out there, and I don't think that's out there anywhere near the same extent with Murphy. My, my suspicion with Murphy his resurgence really started when Cespedes came on board. And I don't think it's a coincidence that now he's got Harper protecting him in the lineup. I think that's the key for him is when he's got strong protection in the lineup, he can afford to just wait on his pitch a little more. And I think that's what's really helped him. He's Matt and I'm Brian and you're listening to Mets 360 here on Blog Talk Radio. We're talking all things Mets. We started talking out about uh, pitchers and we've switched over to hitters. Uh, let's uh, bring up uh, another hitter to discuss and that's Jose Reyes who got off to such a dreadful start but uh, has picked it up a little bit with the bat here. But there's still some of the same questions, um, maybe not to the same degree, but some of the same questions as with Flores is, can he be a, a legitimate player at third base? And uh, I want to take it even one step further and uh, ask you if you think that Reyes will still be a starter by the All-Star break. I don't think so. My prediction is that by the All-Star break, um, Rosario is going to come up and become our full-time shortstop. And I think Cabrera will shift over to third as sort of an audition for next year because Cabrera has an option the Mets can pick up for next year. And I think he, with his diminished range, but he's still got a pretty good bat, I I think he could be at least a one-year stopgap at third base for us. Reyes, at this point of his career, um, he gives us some versatility. He could play realistically three positions. I think he could still play second in a pinch. Um, I don't like the outfield idea. Um, While he hasn't been stealing bases, he's still the fastest base runner we have. And at times his bat wakes up. He certainly can still throw the ball. He's got a magic arm. I don't know how he does it. He looks like he's throwing darts. Um, But I, I just don't think he's a good enough player to play, you know, 162 games. I don't think he should be starting every day. I see him as the left side backup while Flores backs up the right side. I just don't see it. And as far as next year, I think if he's willing to come back, you know, at a very reasonable salary on a one-year deal to be a backup, I, I, I think the front office and might be okay with that. But otherwise, I don't see much of a future for him. Now, one one thing I'd like to bring up is the prestige of being a shortstop. We saw it across town with the Yankees when they acquired Alex Rodriguez. He was a better shortstop than Derek Jeter, but Derek Jeter wanted so much to be a shortstop that they made Rodriguez move to third base and they, they played an inferior defensive lineman because they wanted to defer to the lifelong Yankee in, in Jeter. 
And do you have any concern about, uh, as Drupal Cabrera, having some of that same prestige factor with shortstop? And do you have any concerns about him maybe not wanting to play third base? And we saw with the uh, Baltimore Orioles a couple of years ago, they had uh, one of the top prospects in the game, Manny Machado, who came up, but they had J.J. Hardy at, at shortstop. So they moved Manny Machado over to third base where he remains to this day. Can you imagine a, a scenario where Cabrera doesn't want to move from shortstop and they install Rosario at third base? I sure hope not. That would really annoy me. Um, the last thing you want to do is stunt the growth of your top prospect. Um, I don't know his Drupal Cabrera personally, but we, what we all see in him is really a team guy. He's always at the top step. He's always in the middle of every celebration. You know, let's forget for a minute that he dropped that pop-up yesterday. Um, he's always been a team guy. I don't see him putting up a fuss about that. In fact, last year, before the Bruce trade and they brought back Reyes and all that, the move that I was lobbying for, and I think you may have been in on this too, a few of us were, was to move Walker to third. I thought that was the move last year but it ended up not materializing, of course. I think that Walker III is, is still something that they, they ought to consider. Um, but it'll be curious to see how it plays out, uh, first off, when they decide to finally call up Rosario and uh, when they do how the positions throughout the infield shake out. But uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the offense switch over from talking about defense to offense and the 2017 Mets have been averaging over five runs a game, uh, which is uh, one of the, the top marks in the national league. And I want to ask you if you believe in the offense, do you think that uh, this is something we're going to see through the remainder of the season? Or do you have concerns about maybe a return from the middle of last year when we struggled to score uh, even three runs a game? So what do you think of the offense? Well, Cespedes is coming back next week. I mean, most likely. I can't see how it cannot sustain itself. I mean, what he does to a lineup is, even when he's not at his best, he just makes the hitters around him better. They see better pitches. He provides protection. He gives the lineup more balance with another right-handed power bat. Um, right now, I feel like the lineup's out of balance. I don't believe that Duda, Granderson, and Bruce should all be in the lineup at once ever, even even against a right-handed pitcher. I just don't see it. They're not just all lefties, but they all have that same approach of striking out too much, of, you know, running into one now and again, the long slumps. Um, I don't think those three players belong on the same team or in the same lineup. And as long as those three are all on the same team, I really think they need to be rotated in and out of the lineup based on who's hot mainly because at any given time, one of those three guys is bound to be either injured or in a slump. Now you say that, but if you would look at the numbers uh, since due to return from the DL, which corresponds pretty closely to when Curtis Grandison heated up in the beginning of May, all three of those guys that you mentioned are, are performing quite well right now. And the uh, fact that they, they the, really, from an Bruce offensive point down. of view, Bruce has slowed down from April. But uh, if you look at his numbers just for the month of May, they're not as good as they were in April, but they're not anything that you would 
you know, hold your nose at and say, man, we need to get yeah, a, a replacement true. in here ASAP. So I think that all three of those guys are performing well right now. And one of the things that doesn't get a whole lot of play is there doesn't seem to be, at least among the the teams that the Mets play on a regular basis, just a whole bunch of lefty starters. So something that could potentially be a, a really uh, – a bad weakness for the club, I don't think gets exploited to the degree that some people might fear. No, but come playoff time, should we get there? And I still believe we will. When you face guys like Kershaw and Bumgarner, you don't want four lefties in the lineup, you know, including Conforto. You just don't. Um, one of the things I do like about those three guys, and Bruce has impressed me this year, he's drawing more walks than usual. Um, Duda and Granderson have always been good at that, but now Bruce is doing it as well. That's one thing that, about Flores that drives me crazy is he just does not know how to draw a walk. And Reyes doesn't seem to do enough of it either. No, that's always been a, a huge uh, black hole in Reyes's game. All right, well, we've reached the point in the show where we talk about crazy predictions. And my crazy okay. prediction for this week is that the uh, Sandy Allison, Terry Collins Mets are going to finally, after seven something years, are going to embrace the concept of a long man role and put Josh yeah. Smoker in there. And he's going to go, tw- he's going to have 20 appearances this year where he pitches two or more innings. And I want to know how crazy is that? And also, do you have a crazy prediction for us? You know what? I love what I've seen out of him his last couple of outings. I have a feeling that Dan Worthen spent some time with him because he's been throwing a lot more change-ups and mixing his speeds more. Because as hard as he throws, his fastball sort of like an Armando Benitez flat fast, that if you're waiting on it, it's hittable. And now that he's mixing in change-ups, it's made him a much more effective pitcher. If he can learn to be more of a pitcher and less of a thrower then I, I, that's a possibility. I don't know if there's any hope for Hansel Robles when he comes back up. <laughs> uh, crazy prediction. Um, I'd like to see the Mets not carry three catchers for no reason. I'm not sure what the story behind that is. I, I don't see any benefit of that. Um, I, I happen to think Matt Harvey's turned a corner finally. And I think he will bounce back and make a season of it. Um, I don't know if he'll be as good as he was a couple of years ago, but I think he's going to turn a corner now. I think he struggled now, a little bit with some of his off-speed stuff. He figured out a few things watching film. His arm angle was a little off. His hand wasn't on top of the ball quite enough. Earlier in in the season, Dan Warden indicated that it would be late May before we saw Harvey be the the pitcher that we've all come to to, to know and love. And I think that at the time that was viewed through the, the lens of velocity, that we expected his velocity to slowly build up and then be at uh, peak Harvey form late May, early June. Harvey's velocity hasn't quite reached the 97, 98, but I mean, it's pretty been pretty much consistently at 95, 96. I don't think velocity has been the issue for Harvey as, as much as it is uh, command and command and, and attitude. My, the, one of the things that frustrates me about watching Harvey prior to this last start was 
he almost seemed to adopt the uh, Rafael Montero approach to pitching where he was nibbling, nibbling, afraid to trust his stuff. And uh, Harvey can't pitch that way. So it, it, it was good to see that he had a little more bite on his pitches. And I don't know if the bite influenced his uh, um a return to a bulldog mentality or if it was the other way around, but I was encouraged by what I saw in the last outing and, and, you know, we need to string a couple of those together, but I'm, I've got my fingers crossed. I'm cautiously optimistic about Harvey making a big comeback here in the, in the final two thirds of the season. You took the word out of my mouth bite. Cause I'll tell you, velocity can be overrated. Um, look at, look at Addison Reed. What is what is he hit? Ninety one, maybe ninety two, but his fastball's got like a little sting to it. It's got a little bit of a hop to it, and he can still get it by people, even though he doesn't throw that hard. Um, Harvey, even though he's been throwing ninety five, his fastball just looks a little flat. Aside from the control issues of being able to place it where he wants, it just doesn't have the same hop to it that it used to. Um, and his, he really has not regained that slider yet. And what I see happening with him is he gets two strikes on a lot of hitters, and then he can't put them away. Either he's trying to nibble with the fastball or he can't place that slider the way he wants to. And I think he's kind of not comfortable with himself. He can't find the right arm slot and trying to make the adjustments. But I believe that he's going to get it. It's just going to take a little bit more time, but he's, he's starting to show signs. And I, you know, right. I don't know if you want to wrap up on this point, but I still believe in this team. I really do. I think with Cespedes coming back and Lugo and and uh, Matt's coming back, I think this team can get back to 500 before the schedule gets tough again. And then once we get to the All Star break, you make a deal for another, you know, the bullpen arm, and then you know, come the stretch run, hopefully we get the. Syndergaard and Familia back. We got Rosario coming in the, in the summertime. And you got two wild cards. I, I still believe this team's got a good shot to make the playoffs. Optimism. I love it. Well, we are all out of time. I'd like to thank Matt for joining us tonight. You can read both Matt and myself over at the site, Mets360.com. And, of course, listen to the podcast here each Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern time. Well, thanks for tuning in and listening, and we'll see you next week. Good night, everyone.